0: Come, the King. But a king who was in Let your kingdom come.
1: good morning church let's stand let's worship the lord with gladness come before him singing with joy i praise in the valley i praise on the mountain i praise when i'm sure I'll praise when I'm doubted. I'll praise when outnumbered I'll praise when surrounded Cause praise is the water My enemies drowning As long as I'm breathing I've got a reason to praise The Lord, oh my soul When I don't, I praise because I know you're still in control. Cause my praise is a weapon, oh, it's more than a sound. My praise is a shout that brings Jericho down. As long as I'm breathing. Got a reason to praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, I won't be quiet. My God is alive, how could I keep it inside? sovereign a praise cause you reign a praise cause you rose and defeated the grave a praise cause you're faithful praise cause you're true praise cause there's nobody greater than you a praise cause you're sovereign praise cause you reign praise cause you rose and defeated the grave praise cause you're faithful praise cause you're true praise cause there's nobody greater than you! the Lord, oh my soul. My God is alive How could I keep
2: Church.
3: They're excited. Yeah, good time. (laughs) Um, I am Jen Jones. I'm on staff here as the children's director.
2: And I'm her far inferior half, Bill Jones. I'm one of the elders here at Great Commission Church. So, hey, Bill. How you doing?
3: (laughs) Would you, oh, my earring just fell. We'll get that later.
2: (laughs) Completely unscripted,
0: folks.
3: (laughs) Oh, would you like to hear a cool God story? I would love to hear that. Okay, awesome. So, Kelly Key shared this with us recently, and I'm going to read it because I don't want to miss any of the details. So a few weeks ago, Kelly Key shared a word in our service. Um, No, I'm sorry. That was Alex. Alex who shared a word in our service. He mentioned that a spirit of competitiveness was causing a division. She said that it resonated with her. Kelly did. She knew that God was trying to get her attention to conquer the need to always be right. Kelly said that it caused anger and negativity towards her loved ones. After receiving prayer, she told us, I now have a peace and a renewed resolve to not always have to fight to be right. Instead of always needing to control situations, she's finding victory and letting God handle these issues instead of trying to, to, to control them on her own. Amazing, right? It's,
2: it's awesome to get feedback and hear what our prayer times at the end of the sermon, services are actually doing. We're going to have one of those times today. And if you're not taking advantage of it, do that today. Go get prayer. Have somebody pray for you. Uh, it truly is uplifting, and maybe next week you can be one of those stories. So um, if you've got your, your guide that you got when you came in today, it'll give you kind of an overview of what we've done so far, what we're doing. Isn't the band doing great? I love hearing uh, sisters harmonize. That's just so fun. So we've got, we've got another song coming up for you, and then Trevor's going to do part two uh, of his sermon on grace at the Lord's table. Uh, I heard it. You're in for a treat today, so buckle up. It's going to be pretty awesome. You can also see on here some of the events and things that are going to happen here recently or upcoming at Great Commission.
3: Yes, yes, like our 25th anniversary.
2: It's it's a big one.
3: Can you all believe that? We're going to be 25 years old this year.
2: Trevor looks it.
3: (laughs) And I know... I know October is far away, but we need to get excited about this. I hope that y'all are just anticipating a big celebration this year. We just cannot wait. It's going to be amazing. Yeah.
2: So uh, the other thing that you can do, the other way you can connect with us today is your prayer card. If you've got one of these, please don't miss this opportunity. This is a ministry moment for us to pray for you. And if you don't have a prayer request, you're a believer there's got to be something you can praise our Lord and Savior for. So there's a, there's a blank here where you can write a praise or a comment, maybe a story like Kelly experience, something that we know that just gives glory to our Lord and Savior.
3: Yeah, and if you're new, just fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. We would just love to know that you're here. We also have a welcome gift for you um, in the lobby, so please don't miss out on that.
2: And it's good stuff. It's not like the stuff that's going to make it to your junk drawer or that is going to be in the 25-cent bin at the garage sales. I've, I haven't seen any of our stuff there, so it's good stuff. Go get it. Um, all right, now I get to introduce somebody that has been a friend to our church for a long time. I understand that he has pictures of Trevor as a teen when he actually had the vanilla ice stuff in his eyebrows. <laughs> uh, he's been a friend to us for a while, but he comes from Na- Knoxville, Uh, where the the orange people live, and they play the banjo with their feet and drink applesauce through a straw. But he's a godly man. Uh, He's one of God's favorites. Uh, So am I, and I learned that from him. So uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Pastor Chris Stevens from uh, Faith Promise in Knoxville.
4: All right, all right. Great to be with you. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many are excited to be in the house of God today? Come on. Man. The Bible says, I'd rather spend one day in his courts than 10,000 elsewhere. The Bible says that we can dwell beneath the shadow of his wings. The psalmist said, I want to meet you in the secret places. We can access. We can can receive from God. And that's why we come to corporate worship. And the goal of corporate worship, a part of it is we worship God Is our God big? Is our God limitless? The more that we praise him, the smaller our problems become. That's why we praise, because you can't worry and worship at the same time. You can't praise and pout at the same time. And so as you're you're elevating God, as you're just seeing God as huge, your problems just begin to grow smaller and smaller, whether it's healing or relationships or financial, when we realize that our God can. not just go ahead and fill in the blank. Our God is able, so it's great to be with you, man. We love you guys. We love this church, Michelle and I. Actually, I've been here several times. This is the first time my wife Michelle uh, was able to be with us. She was not able to be in the first service because I dumped a 20-ounce jug of coffee on her as we got out of the car, and uh, there's not many places to go get clothes <laughs> in Olive Branch on Sunday morning. Are y'all with me? It's either where the, you know, the really high-floating people go to Target's or the Walmart, and so she had to go buy clothes, and I'm still, I'll be paying for that for a long time. <laughs> Come on, men of God, you know what I'm talking about. And so, but we love Pastor Trevor and Angie. We've known them since they were in high school, and I just want to tell you, I see some students in the house. Trevor Davis is one of the most radical, radical teenagers soul winning, God loving students I've met in 42 years of ministry, and I have, I have ministered to tens of thousands of high schoolers. So couldn't be more proud of him and Angie and their three young men of God that they're raising. We pray for them uh, every day. Do me a favor, do not let me out. Pray you for your pastor. Are y'all with me? Don't every day I'm taking Trevor and Angie, the boys. I'm taking y'all this church. I'm believing God for doing absolutely incredible things. And I was praying a few days ago, I was thinking about this morning, praying for this service, and, and because I had the opportunity, even though I've helped father and mentor Pastor Trevor for so long, now we're, we, we have a ministry called Ready, Set, Grow that we're coaching Gre- Great Commission Church. And uh, Great Commission Church is preparing like no church I've ever seen for what God wants to do. So I was praying, and I just got this image, this this thought that, and that's not normal for me. Or y'all, it's just not my normal mo. I wish that it were, but it's not. And because uh, I'm pressing into God harder day than I ever have. But but as I was as I was praying, this I sense the Lord say that He is pleased with how Great Commission Church is pressing in to the Holy Spirit, is pressing into heaven, is pressing into the gifts. It's pressing into revelation and impartation like our prophetic weekends once a month and, and, and trying, to, trying to grow in the Spirit so we don't come to church to get, but we come to church to give. Are y'all with me? And so I really felt like the Lord was saying, hey, yeah, you guys are on the right track. He's pleased with what, where you are. And then the second word was this, you're coming soon to a crossroad and you're going to have to make a choice. And that is this. As God does more inside Great Commission Church, and God, God begins to continue to show, him, to show up and show out, more people are going to find out about it. Talk, met a gentleman uh, right before this service, first-time guest. Been driving past, and I just want to just come see what's going on. So more people are going to come. Are you all with me? And you've got to decide how you're going to treat them. You've got to decide what you're going to do with that, because here's the problem. You say, oh, we're going to love them all. What about when they get your seat? Well, some of y'all have been warming that seat, that same spot right there for a long time. And you're going to get here, and some newbie's going to be sitting in your chair. Now, here's what I did this morning. I looked at every chair. There's not a name on a chair. Are are y'all with me? Not a name. But you've been sitting there, and you've got to decide, are you thrilled that somebody new's here, or are you mad because they got your chair? They're also going to get your parking place. Yeah, they're going to get your parking spot, and you've got to walk farther. And it rains here, Mississippi. It doesn't rain like this in Knoxville, but it rains over here. So what, what are you going to do? And then, then it's going to get worse because we're going to need, some of you all do two or three jobs around here. You all with me? We're going to need you to give up some of your positions so new people can serve. Now, if you get your identity from your current assignment, then you're going to be mad somebody got your spot. Are you all with me? Now, I have been as a senior pastor from 25 on Sunday morning to 8,500 on Sunday morning. And I have watched people as more and more new people have come because we tend to be more consumer-driven than contribution-driven. And we tend to want what we want. And and, and I've had so many people walk to me and say, Pastor, we're going to have to find another church. It's not like it used to be. Thank God it's not like it used to be. Are y'all with me? I've been married to Michelle for 40 years. It's better than it used to be. It gets gooder and gooder all the time. It's incredible. And so, it, 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 and so, it, yeah, but, you know, used to, used to, used to. God's name is not I was. His name is I am. Yesterday's man has got maggots. I need some new move of God. Are y'all with me? Yeah. And so you got to get ready for what God's about to do. you got to sacrifice your pew, your parking, your parking place, your power, positions, you've got to love those people when they come in because they're going to sit beside you. And you're going to look over and say, wow, are you new? They're going to say, I am. Well, man, we're so glad you're here. Or if you're like at Faith Promise, are you new? I've been here 15 years. (laughs) Well, I used to go to another service, so I didn't know. We do it all the time. Does this make sense? So here we are. God is pleased with the preparation and the, and the pressing into the throne room. God is thrilled with all that, and, and and I believe God is going to do something, but what we've got to do is decide what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? Are you willing to add another service? Not another service. Are you willing to? Does this make sense? Jesus said, and it's hard reading Jesus' God's and jacks us up, doesn't he? So Jesus said, leave the 99 and go after the what? The what? You know why he said that? Because the one's more important than the 99. You're going to heaven. They're not. And so what are you willing to do so that one more can come to heaven? What are you willing to do to make it hard to go to hell from Olive Branch, Mississippi? What are you willing to do and sacrifice sin? With your time, with your treasure, with your money, with your talents, with your ability. Does this make sense? And so we're pressing in. We're doing, and I've never seen a church prepare like this church is prepared. Therefore, I believe we're going to see what we rarely see God do. More and more God stories, more and more students. I hear God's doing a radical work amongst some students. Is that right? Come on, is that? Students, is that right? Come on. this You can't make a bit of noise like this. Come on, is God? Come on. And so... We've got to lean into what God's doing, and that means it's going to cost us. What did it cost for your salvation? Jesus' life on a cross. And we've got to be willing to lay down our preferences, our desires, to take one more to heaven. Does that make sense? We love you. We believe the greatest days of great commission I am just sitting there thinking for the 25th anniversary. I literally I thought,, well, we have a thousand people for our 25th anniversary here. On Sunday morning, we have a thousand people. Is that possible? Is that possible? Because yeah. listen, people say, well, I, don't, I don't want the church to get big. You know, I, I want to talk to you about me." And I said, "Well, you'd hated the New Testament. Because 120 people prayed in the upper room, 3,000 people got saved. So day one of the church was 3,120. Are you with me? Seven days later, Peter preaches again, 5,000 more. Day eight of the church, 8,120 people. You, you think that's a big church? And within the first six months, they, they, they average at least 60,000 converts in Jerusalem alone. So the church has grown in six months from 120 to 60,000. You'd have hated the New Testament. The reason we want the church to stay small is so it can be about me. The church is not about you. It's about him, and it's about them. Does this make sense? Are y'all okay? Are you ready? Do we serve a limitless God? Do we serve a God who is worthy of praise? Do we serve a God who can move and do anything he wants to do? Do we serve a God who is gonna revive and pour out his spirit on Great Commission Church? Do we serve a God who is exalted above everything that there is? Do we serve a God who has all power, all authority, all ability, all everything? Come on. Do we serve a Most High God? Come on. Do we serve? So let's stand to our feet and let's give God what he deserves, lavish, extravagant worship. Come on. Give him one more shout of praise, would you?
0: is life. the darkest day in history there
5: keep worshiping through giving this morning and before we do that as you prepare your gifts and your offerings I wanted to share with you something I was thinking about this morning something I really love because I love it when my kids play together they're getting along I feel like a great parent when that happens I'm like man I'm doing the thing and then this happens hey that's my Lego and that's how the fight starts it is amazing how Legos can divide a home how they become more important than a relationship right and what happens is uh, I'll go in there and try to assess the situation and say, how do you know that's your Lego? Well, when I was three years old, I had this pack, and there was a stormtrooper, and there was a brick wall, and that was part of the brick wall. And I said, well, how do you know it's not your Lego? And they go through, and I'm like, this is pretty good. These are two pretty good cases. I'll tell you what. In my house, I probably bought the thing, so it's my Lego. So I have all these little Lego pieces. If you're ever missing a piece, I got it. Does that make you feel full of joy when your kid's just don't want to share, don't want to get along. It really doesn't, does it? But I'll tell you what, for those moments, I'll walk through, and I'll see my kids playing with Legos or whatever they're doing, and they say, hey, you know, that's mine. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Here, I'll just borrow it. And they give it back joyfully, willingly, cheerfully. And I'll tell you, my heart swells, and I'm so proud of them, and I'm so thankful. I'm like, man, this is great. And I thought for a second, I was like, I wonder if God feels like that when we give, when we share our things, when we give back to him. And I this verse came to my mind. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 7. The writer Paul shares this. He says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought, man, am I a cheerful giver? I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to give willingly to the Lord. And so I wanted to give you that thought as the ushers come forward to receive this offering. I, mean, I want to pray for you guys. God, we are, are thankful in Jesus' name that we get an opportunity to give God, that we get to see the gospel go farther. God, I pray you'd help us connect the dots in our minds of the amazing things that, God, that you're doing in this, in this church and the world through us because we give financially. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and receive the offering. Hey, i got a great video I wanted to show you, kind of connect some dots. that as you give. We gave the kids an opportunity last week at the Super Bible Bowl to learn the gospel in real creative, fun ways. So I want you to see this video. So go ahead and take a look.
6: I can't think of a better recruiting thing for the student ministry or the children's ministry than that Because you're going, I wish I'd have been there and could have skipped preacher sermon And so uh, that was good stuff for last week My name is Trevor Davis, I'm one of the pastors here uh, And I want you to find Luke chapter 1 in your Bible And hold your finger there And then go to the right and go to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. So you should be holding a section of your Bible from Luke chapter 1 to Acts 28, and I'm going to show you that in just a second. Before, as you're finding it, I want to share a story of victory that happened in our church recently. I'm going to leave the names out because the information's a little sensitive, but here it goes. This is from one of our church members, a godly lady and a business owner. I recently had someone make a serious accusation of fraud against us and against me, which diminishes my character and could affect my business. This was done in a group forum where multiple people saw it. There's no basis for it other than maybe some insinuating comments by former employees with a motive to create chaos in the business. This was very upsetting to me since I work hard to maintain my integrity. I reached out privately and told the person to either provide proof for their reckless statement, or provide an apology in the same group text in order to rectify the situation. Initially, there was defiance, and it lasted for days. I prayed privately about it, but the defiance only seemed to grow. So, listen to me very carefully. So, I brought it to the church prayer team last Sunday. And the words that I remember hearing in prayer over me were, and I quote, God, we ask you to shut the mouths of the lions like you did for Daniel, end quote. Is that not a powerful prayer? Here's the aftermath. Just before 10 a.m. on Monday morning, I received a text admitting there was no wrong done and I received an apology. There was a text stating these same things In the group text also, I'm thankful to be a part of the body of Christ, to God be all the glory. Listen to me. Jesus loves his bride. When you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of the bride of Christ. And I told you that story to give God glory and for you to kind of catch a glimpse. Maybe you don't need physical healing today. That's okay. There'll be a day when you do. Maybe, maybe you didn't lose your job last week. Maybe you didn't have a loved one die last week. That's okay. That, that's gonna happen at some point perhaps. But maybe what you're dealing with was like our friend, our sister, and it's a conflict where you work or where you live or something like that. And, and it's, you're just not right with somebody and you know how it feels. It's just always in the background. It feels terrible and you know that God wants it reconciled and you try to pray in it through to yourself, but maybe it didn't work. And you're like, what do I do next? Listen, let the church pray for you. Come forward at the end of our service today. You don't have to be a member. You can be a guest or a member of our church. It doesn't matter. We will pray for anyone and everyone. But after about 45 of these answered prayers over the last month, I think God is setting a pattern. You agree? Are you out there? And so here's the idea. Don't miss out. And give our prayer team the practice. We just need to pray for people and I think there's going to be a breakthrough for you. So we love these victory stories. So there you go. Now, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, That's been called the Pentateuch or the Torah or the law. Uh, Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. And if you read all the conservative Bible scholars, here's what they agree on. The first five books of the Bible is really just one work. It's got the same author. It's pointing to the same God and the same purpose. And so you don't really have to divide Genesis through Deuteronomy because they're one work by the same guy. In the same way, in your Bible in the New Testament, uh, the doctor named Luke wrote the gospel of Luke that bears his name. And he wrote the second part of that work called the book of Acts. In In fact, Not only do they have the same author, they are addressed to the same person, a man named Theophilus. It is one work, and we need to look at them that way. If you look in in Luke chapter 1 and you read the story in Luke chapter 1, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find an angel in the temple giving an announcement about the birth of a prophet. All right? Angel, temple, prophet. It doesn't get any more Jewish than that. That's Luke 1. The end of the work is Acts 28. And in Acts 28, 28, the last thing the Apostle Paul says, while he's in the city of Rome, which I'll remind you is a pagan city, according to the Bible, outside of Israel, on the Mediterranean, where we get Italian food, amen, right? Rome, Italy. Paul is speaking to the Jewish religious leaders in Rome, and the last thing he says at the end of Luke's work is, therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. In the Bible, the opposite of the Gentiles is the Jews. The opposite of the Jews is the Gentiles. So so as you're looking at that section in your Bible, Luke chapter 1, as Jewish as it gets. Acts 28, as Gentile and as opposite of Jewish as it could possibly be. Same author, same Holy Spirit. The question is, What happened to make that switch? Why do we have Luke and Acts in the Bible? What are the purposes? Well, now Jesus' ministry is expanding from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And since we're not separating Luke and Acts, and you've looked at it in your Bible, and we start with Jewishness and we end with Gentile, how can we account for the difference between Luke 1, which is purely Jewish, and Acts 28, which is clearly Gentile. My brothers and my sisters, a major shift has occurred. And Luke writes about that major shift in Luke 22, Luke 23, Luke 24, and the very next chapter is Acts chapter one. Four chapters in a row. And we read about the shift. In those chapters, from Luke 22 through Acts chapter one, Jesus of Nazareth Was arrested. He was abused. He was tried. He was condemned. He was crucified. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He was seen by witnesses and then he ascended into heaven. That's what happened. That's what caused the shift. It was a change in history. And then Luke, after he opens, and you look at, at it from 35,000 feet, and you see the change that Jesus makes in history, Luke gives us one more purpose. One more purpose for writing Luke and Acts, and, here's the, and, and it answers this question, who speaks for God? Out of all the voices, whose is most important? And here's how Luke answers the question. He opens his gospel, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, and Luke chapter 3, and a whole bunch of different entities speak for God. There are expectant mothers, there are priests, there are angels, it's just all over the map. Let me give you just a sampling of who's speaking for God in the first three chapters of Luke. First, the first person who speaks for God in all of Luke is the angel Gabriel, and he speaks to two different individuals. The first one he speaks to is Zachariah, Zacharias. It depends on what English translation you have. Zacharias, and he says that he's going to have a son. Luke one13 don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. So the angel Gabriel announces to a father, you're going to have a son. Here's what his name is going to be. The next time someone speaks for God in Luke. It's the same angel, the angel Gabriel. He speaks to an expectant mother. You've heard of her. She's a young virgin. Her name's Mary. And he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace with God. Then the angel stops speaking and the expectant mothers start speaking. The next one who speaks for God is Elizabeth. And she says in Luke 1 with a loud voice to her cousin Mary, blessed are you among women and blesses the fruit of your womb. And today in every Catholic church all over the world that'll be that that verse will be quoted over and over and over again. After Elizabeth speaks for God, then Mary speaks for God and listen. She exalts the Lord and she belittles herself. Here's what she says in verses 46 and 47 of chapter 1, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in don't miss it. God, my Savior. Mary said she needed to be saved. She can't help you. Only Jesus saves, yes? So she doesn't want you to pray to her. She wants you to talk to her son. And she wants you to know that you can have the same salvation that she needed and that she got. My soul magnifies. My spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. The next group that speaks in Luke's gospel are angels. And they speak to shepherds on a hillside. And you hear this every Christmas in December. Luke 2, 10 and 11. Do not be afraid for behold I bring you great tidings of good tidings of great joy which will be for all the people. And for, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then when we get to chapter 3, the final person that speaks for God in chapter 3 is that prophet whose father was told by the angel his name would be John, and John the Baptist is out there, and his ministry is blowing up, and the multitudes are coming to him to be baptized to change their religion. And he says, "Wait a minute, you need to count the cost." So here, let me show you John the Baptist's plan for church growth. When the, when the crowds come, he calls them all snakes right? Luke 3, 7 and 8, he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Who said you get to miss God's wrath? If you really think that you need to miss the wrath of God, here's what it takes. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. He said, you can't just say it and be dunked here. You got to live it. All right, so those are some of the entities that speak for God in the first three chapters of Luke. We want to know who speaks for him, whose voice is most important. Let me recap what's been prophesied. First, we just found out that two important sons will be born. After that, we find out that Mary and her son are especially blessed of the Lord. He's the most important of the sons to be born. Then Mary praises God and notes that she needs a savior. After that, a Savior's been born in Bethlehem, and angels announce it on the hillside, and then people want to come to God, and they come to the Lord's prophet, and he says, flee from the wrath to come. Those are the prophecies in the first three chapters of Luke. Now listen to me very carefully. When we get to Luke chapter 4, when we get to Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaks. He speaks in his hometown. I need a support group. I need to find all 12 or <laughs> i need to find all 3 of the pastors in America who have planted a church in their hometown because i'm one of them right it's like we you don't get to do that all the time but but the lord has given me more grace it seems to minister in my hometown than he gave jesus when he tried to minister in his he shows up to the synagogue and all the all the religious men are there and when a traveler would show up they would they would have open mic time did you know that it was like amateur night at the apollo and if there was a visitor, they would just stop and they would say, Do you have anything to share with us? And 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 the guy says, As Matter of fact, I do. It's Jesus. And the, the synagogue attendant hands him the scripture reading for the day, hands him the scroll, opens it up to the prophet Isaiah. All of the liturgies had already been pre planned out for hundreds of years. And the text that was supposed to be read on that particular Saturday was from the prophet Isaiah. And they hand it to Jesus and they say, read this and then just tell us what you think about it. So he sits down because all the speakers sat in the synagogue and everyone reclined. And he began to read Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and following. You can put it on your screen. Here's what it says. Jesus didn't pick this verse in that moment. He picked it in eternity past. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the Bible says he closed the book. He hands it back to the attendant." He sits down, and in verse 21, he says, Today, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. And a hush fell over the synagogue. I was watching my boys play basketball against each other in our upstairs room. We got a little basketball goal, and they just try to dunk. They're white boys, they can't jump very high, you know, and so they just they can dunk on this six-foot goal. And so they're in there dunking and one and will dunk on the other, and, and one of them, whoever just dunks on the guy, he'll go, he goes, he goes, I'm him, I'm him. I don't know who him is. Just some figment of their imagination, I guess. Listen, in, in Luke 4.21, when Jesus read those verses that were prescribed for that day, and he turns and he says, Look, I'm him. That's me. I just did that. That thing that Isaiah promised and predicted, it just happened in your midst. Then the Bible says the people were amazed, but then they said, hey, isn't that Joseph's son? Don't we know him? I mean, it's been a few years, but he, he looks familiar. Didn't, didn't he grow up right here? Didn't he play with our children? Did, prophets don't grow up from little boys, do they? And they were offended at his words. They were, they were disenchanted. And that led Jesus to say in Luke 4.24, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And my brothers and my sisters, in Luke 4.24, Jesus Christ claims to be a prophet. That's important. Because there's been lots of prophecies made and lots of speaking for God in the first three chapters. But in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus speaks, no other prophet speaks the word of God in the gospel of Luke from chapter 4 through the end of the book in Luke 24. Even after he authorizes the disciples to speak for him in Luke chapter 9, we never hear them. We hear only the prophet Jesus. What happened? The era had changed. The time period got reset. It was an earthquake. The the fault lines hit each other and the plates rocked back and forth and something brand new that cannot be avoided and cannot be uh, unobserved and unseen has happened. Something different has come into the world at Luke chapter four. And what does it mean? How should we understand Luke's account of the Lord's Supper considering that a new prophet has arrived on the scene when the period changes. For the rest of my sermon, I'm going to answer this question. The question is if Jesus is the foremost prophet, what should go through our minds at the table of the Lord? Because that's what Luke wants you to ask and answer. And and I'm going to answer that question with two Bible stories in Luke. And they have this in common. They both happen at mealtime around around tables. And so it's utterly appropriate to learn what Jesus did at mealtime around tables because you're coming to mealtime at the table of the prophet at the end of my sermon. So what is it that we're going to learn? The series is Grace at the Table. Last week we learned uh, about what Mark wanted us to know about the Lord's Supper. This week, Luke. Next week, 1 Corinthians 11. Two passages in Luke inform our thinking they both happen around mealtime. The first one is in Luke 7. It's Luke 7, 36 to 50. We're not going to be able to go through all of that, but I want you to look at Luke 7 in your Bible because some, an amazing thing happens. Before we get to 36 to 50 in Luke 7, Jesus raises from the dead the only son of a widow. Now, I, we have such a high view of Jesus, and we're 2,000 years past the cross, and we have, we have more than one copy of the Bible at our house, on our phones. This is not news to us. And so when we hear about Jesus raising from the dead, we kind of shrug it off. Yeah, I've already, of course he does that. Don't speed past that just for a second. Just let it sink in. A widow who is most vulnerable in the culture loses the only person left that she loves and can take care of her. He dies and Jesus raises him from the dead. He dies, Jesus raises him. Can we agree that's an, an astounding miracle? Can we agree that that doesn't happen all the time, but it's kind of old hat to us because we, we hear about it in church, but out there in the world, they never hear about dead raisings. How did the crowd react when Jesus raised that boy from the dead? In Luke seven sixteen, the Bible says, then fear came upon all. It, it made them afraid, and they glorified God, and here's what they said, a great prophet has risen up among us. And God has visited his people. When God, when God sends prophets, he, all, he often comes with them for a visit to encourage and build up the faithful. And so Luke 7 is about a prophet. And we get to 36 to 50, and we have a dinner party. Here's the dinner party. The, the, the host of the dinner is a, is a well-respected religious leader. He is Simon the Pharisee. And whatever in the world possessed him to invite Jesus into his home to a, to a public dinner is still a little bit curious. Why would you do this? This traveling rabbi, you, Simon, putting your stamp of approval on him to come to your house only increases his credibility. And we're pretty sure you don't want to do that. So why did you invite him? That's what happens in verse 36. Why invite this stranger? Why increase his popularity? But then Jesus enters the house. And when he enters the house, things start happening because things are not happening. You see, when Jesus came to Simon's house, all the traditional courtesies of hospitality were omitted. They were denied him. There were at least three. According to the Babylonian Talmud, the Jews' commentary on the Old Testament that they rely on custom required first a kiss of greeting. You've seen Eastern Hemisphere um, uh, governmental leaders do that double double peck of their cheeks on the on each side when they when they meet on a runway at an airport. You know about this kiss of greeting. That's as, that's thousands of years old. It was expected. The next two things that were expected when you were coming to somebody's home is you'd be given water and a towel and you'd be given a flask of olive oil. And the water was to wash your feet with and your hands with and the towel was to dry your hands and your feet off and the oil was to refresh your face and your head and to get your mind ready. They were courtesies. They were expensive. They were rare. They were gestures that meant something. You see, a person had to wash his hands and his feet. He had to refresh his face and his head before the traditional prayer of thanksgiving could be made for the meal. And the food could not be served until after the prayer was made. So these things had to be done and they had to be done in order. If you were there and you were Jewish, you would be expecting those three things to be given to Jesus. And if you were watching, and if you watched no one give them to him, you knew now we have a drama. The Babylonian Talmud says, our rabbis taught the absence of oil is a bar, a barrier to the saying of grace. No oil, no prayer, no prayer, no meal. Also the Talmud says, just as a dirty person is unfit for the temple service, so dirty hands are unfit for saying grace. No washed hands, no, no prayer, no prayer, no meal. Everyone knew this. But what's happening at Simon's house? You see, every culture has a ritual for welcoming guests. We, Angie and I had Chris and Michelle over at our house last night to meet our boys again, and, and I, had, I, had, I had meat on the grill. We had been working for hours. Um, I love it when company comes in, you clean your house. You know how it goes. You got small group. You just got to clean, you just gotta clean the, the den in one bathroom, amen? You close all the bedroom doors. You know how it goes. All right, so we did a little bit more than that. We've been working on it. I was cooking. That should tell you things are different. I'm, I'm halfway through grilling the meat, and I look out there, and the, my backyard's on fire. And, and it's my grill, and there are flames shooting up five feet over my grill before I open the lid. I open the lid, and vroom, it, it went up, and the meat's on there, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I've, I've even watched YouTube videos on this, and I realized I don't have a blanket, I don't have a fire extinguisher, but then I thought, oh my goodness, the meat. So I just took the tongs, and I grabbed the meat out. And it, it somehow, it wasn't burned yet. So we went to plan B. I could not get the fire out. I had to roll my grill, it's a new grill, into my yard and just pray. That was my that was strategy, pray. God, would you put the fire out? And I, don't, I call my brother, he lives next door. Hey, can I use your grill? He's like, yeah. As I'm calling my brother, Chris and Michelle walk in my house. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're, we worked for six hours on this and we're gonna to have to call an audible and do pizza. I mean, really, is this what's gonna happen? I don't, know what, I don't know what caused it. Maybe it was the answer prayer. The fire finally went out of the grill five minutes later, and I went and looked at the grates. I've never seen cleaner grill grates in my whole life. I mean, the fire burned everything off. Put the meat back on there, problem solved. Can't believe it. They told me it tasted good. I don't know, but it worked. We, we were working hard on our hospitality. Every culture does it. Here's how it works in the West. I see my friend Larry back there. I used his name in the first service. I'll use it again. What does it look like to welcome guests today? So Larry comes to my door and I say, Hey, Larry, it's so nice to see you. What a great surprise. Wouldn't you like to come in? May I take your coat? Would you please sit here in my favorite chair and rest a bit? May I bring you something to drink? And then the host turns off the TV and he closes the laptop. He takes his cell phone out and he puts it on silent. And he's, he's signifying to his guest that the guest is welcome and that, that the host has plenty of time for him or for her and, and that, that the host has giving this guest undivided attention. What if you omit the entire list of courtesies? Well, if you did, it would be a clear, calculated, direct, insult. It's bad hosting. It's unloving. Listen to me. Simon withheld all the party favors of ancient Near Eastern hospitality from Jesus. Luke is showing you in the passage that Simon had invited Jesus to his home, not to honor him, but to test him and humiliate him. Here was the test. Simon wanted to know, was this man indeed a prophet of God? And then God sends somebody to the party to answer the question. Because the very next moment in the party, the lady with one of the worst reputations in town, everyone knew her, everyone knew what she did, everyone knew what she was like. She crashes the party. You see, she had been out in the the crowd when Jesus had preached the gospel and Jesus had looked to her and her friends and said, did you know Yahweh, our father loves you? And did you know you can be made right with him? And if you wanna be made right with him, it's real simple, you just gotta go through me. And, and you can come and let's have dinner together and I'll accept you and, I, and I'll tell you more about how much God loves you. And, I, and I, Look, I know, I know you've done some stuff. I know, more, I know you better than you know yourself. And and you've told yourself that you're too far gone, but, I, but I'm here to tell you that, that I'm pulling you back in. And and if you'll just, just believe in me, our, our father will receive you and you'll be, you'll be his child. And she believed his preaching and she wanted to go and tell him thank you. And so she heard that he was gonna be at, Simon the Pharisee's house and this was a big community thing and she knew at the end people would, would exchange pleasantries with the guest of honor and they would bring him gifts and, and they would speak to him and she said, I'll get at the end of the line and she brings her alabaster jar of, of perfume. She used to use it to turn tricks. She used to use it to attract men and get paid. She said, you know, it's worth more to give it to Jesus. I'm going I'm to give it to him at the end of the party. And when she got in, she saw what Simon did to Jesus. She saw that he withheld all of the water and the towel and the, and, and the olive oil and, and everything he was supposed to have, everything that any guest would get. And she was so brokenhearted that someone would mistreat this loving, kind, hope-filled man that she began to, to weep. And she says, I need, to, I need to get this man's feet washed and his hands washed. But there's, There's no water and no one's giving me a towel and and she's crying and and her tears hit her hands and she says, oh my goodness, that's it. I don't have a bowl of water, but I got a lot of tears. I'll wash his feet with my tears. Oh, but my goodness, I don't have a towel. I have my long hair. I'll dry his feet that I washed with his tears with my hair. I don't care if it soils my hair. He's worth it. So she touches a man in public that she's not married to. And then we read in verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, "Here, Simon got the answer he was looking for, brothers and sisters. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman, this is who's touching him for she's a sinner. I want to remind you that Jesus is not merely one prophet among many. He's not a prophet. My brothers and my sisters, he is the prophet. And once again, Jesus being the the prophet furnishes something in this bible story that no mere human can. We read in Luke 7:48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, take your Sunday school glasses off. Answer this question as if you were living in first century Israel, Israel as a Jewish person and you know who this woman is and you know Simon the Pharisee. In that community, who had greater honor? Simon, the Pharisee religious leader, or the woman with a bad reputation, who had, who had greater honor in the community? Simon did. And Luke wants you to see in his gospel that this woman on the pages of his book, she has more honor with Jesus. And we read in 747, Jesus said, therefore I say to her, her sins, say to you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Everybody look at me. When you come to the table of the Lord today, it's because you love him much. When you come to the table of the Lord, you're bringing your hair and your tears and you're washing his feet. What does this idea have to do with the Lord's Supper? Everything I just told you. Those who are welcomed and honored at the supper, at the turn of the times, at the table of the foremost prophet of God, are those whom he's declared forgiven. They are people who love him greatly because they have learned that they owe him considerably. Now finally today, the last application is the other dinner passage. It's Luke 15, 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors and these sinners drew near to him to hear him. It was like Jesus was a magnet for those who would never come to him in the first place. And the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And what the Pharisees and scribes meant to be an insult, when we come to the table of the Lord, this man eats with... It eats with sinners and, and receives them. <laughs> it's good news for us. We, we celebrate this. Don't miss this. The prophet doesn't welcome the obedient to his table. Did you hear what I just said? The prophet doesn't welcome the obedient to his table because he can't find any. He looked, but they weren't there. He receives sinners and he eats with them. At his table... By the new covenant in his blood, Jesus has redeemed those same sinners. So my, my friends, he welcomes thee forgiven at the table. Two final applications and I'm done. Number one, it's not the religious who are welcomed to his table. It's those who know how deeply undeserving they are. We don't strut like peacocks when we come to the table of the Lord. Going, that is for me. Now we walk down here in absolute wonder that the foremost prophet of God would say, come and dine with me. And then lastly, it's those who know how exceedingly worthy and how highly exalted Jesus is. Don't you dare come to this table condemning yourself today. You come to this table exalting Jesus. Now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna receive the Lord's Supper. Instead of showing you the video, I'm just gonna tell you who's, who can come and who can't come. Here's who can come to the table of the Lord, everybody that's received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you've been baptized, you know the Lord, then Jesus beckons you to his table and you should come. You should bring your unbaptized children to the table and withhold the elements from them and create the best evangelistic moment you'll have this week with your kids. You can tell them later why they are left out. If you have a conviction about you only received the Lord's Supper with your own local church, I honor that and I get that, and you're welcome to stay in your seat. There's no judgment in this room. If you're not a Christian, please don't partake of these elements. Just wait. See that you're missing something. And let us talk to you about your relationship with the Lord. I don't mean to offend you, but God will offend you more if you do. If you act like a Christian, you're not, and you die without Jesus. It's a holy moment. It's also a moment to celebrate, so let's do it together. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, the uh, the elders and the ushers are going to come. Father, it's in Jesus' name. The the foremost prophet of of the Lord that we come today and we can't wait to come to your table. Can't wait to remember that you died for us. Can't wait that, to, to recall that your blood says that you'll do everything in our place. We can't wait. You get all the glory today, Lord. You get all the honor. All the forgiven are gonna come, Lord, because you declared us that way for your glory. We praise you. And a faith-filled church said, amen.
7: everybody. Uh, Before we dismiss, I'd like to welcome the the prayer team to come forward. Um, While they're coming forward, I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, We have one of our youth. Her name is Haley. Um, Haley was having some uh, mouth, kind of some throat problems. She couldn't eat. She couldn't really chew or swallow. Uh, And so she thought, well, why don't I ask God to do what only God can do? And so she came and, and got prayer and Sure enough, God did what only God can do, <laughs> and God actually healed her, uh, and she began to be able to eat and, and recover, and, uh, and so I, I tell you that because nobody's too young, nobody's too old, nothing's too big, nothing's too small for God, That's right. because God is a good father. And I know some of you didn't have good fathers when you were born. You were born to bad fathers. But if you're born again, you've got a great father. And so that can be you. And so uh, as I dismiss you, I want to encourage you, come get prayer. Come ask God to do what only he can do. You are dismissed. Thank you guys so much for coming.